Hello there, welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. I'm Andrew Musgrove and today joined by Lee Ryder and Mark Douglas. How are we all today? Not bad. Enthusiasm, lads, come on. We're getting there. We're just recovering from a defeat at Brighton. I think that's the uh, that's the main thing going into a big game against Liverpool. But hopefully, you know, this is the middle of the week where we're a bit down and this time next week we'll be a little bit uh, more upbeat after a big result against the Reds. Definitely. I suppose that's where we'll start, Lee. Obviously, long trip down to Brighton. I think a lot of people were maybe expecting that that would be the fourth victory on the bounce. It wasn't to be the case. I mean, to me, it looked like more of a tired performance rather than a poor performance. How would you have summed it up? I think, really, it was a case of they were doing similar things, what they've done in previous games. The big one being they weren't converting the chances. Marino had a great chance forced a good save out the goalkeeper. But then Jocelyn missed a bit of a set. Uh, Perez, I think he put one shot out for a throw-in uh, rather than getting on target. And then put another reasonably good chance over the bar in the first half. So I think they had the chances to really take the game at Brighton. And then second half, when they came out, Brighton seemed to be the team that were up for it for the first 20 minutes, got the goal within that time frame. And then Newcastle, as much as they pushed on, they couldn't force equaliser and sadly... It was a bit of a, a, a disappointing defeat, really, and certainly for the two and a half thousand fans who made that long journey down to Brighton. You know what that one's like. It's a, it's a long trip. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, disappointing. Definitely. Mark, do you think it was a case that, for some, going into this game, Newcastle maybe considered the favourites for the first time this season? Do you think that maybe played a part, or do you think it was just um, one of those days? I think they were. I think they were the favourites, but um, Brighton, you've got to give credit to Brighton. I mean, they... Uh, Chris Hewton uh, had a had a game plan that worked uh, better than Newcastle's, I think, really, in the in the end. And, uh, like Lee said, it was individual errors, wasn't it? I don't think it was necessarily... I mean, it was... They've played three away games now. They've all been really, really tight. I mean, they've played three teams that, that are probably going to be battling relegation with them. Only got the upper hand once, lost two. But I, I would say they could have lost Swansea. They could have lost to Swansea. They could have easily beaten Brighton on on Sunday, and they could have beaten Huddersfield as well. Um, even though, I mean, that was a poor performance as well. So, um, the the interesting part for me was the last twenty minutes where Marino and Shelby played together for the first time, um, and that was kind of maybe a little vision of how Newcastle will maybe line up in the future. But I mean, it's 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 quite a, probably a bit of a risky one if Rafa does it on. Sunday, but it was definitely it was a different kind of Newcastle in the last twenty minutes, and that was probably the only. I mean, it wasn't a great game. That was probably the only interesting thing I thought to take out of it was, oh, that's Newcastle's Plan B there, or maybe Plan A for Sunday. Um, but it's very different, and, and it'll be interesting to see whether Rafa kind of takes a risk and goes with that on Sunday. And Lee, you mentioned obviously Jocelyn had that effort, which was when why should have scored. I mean, what have you made of Jocelyn so far? He's obviously scored against West Ham, but I mean, what's your overall opinion of him? I think he's got a lot to prove in terms of consistency. I think any striker who'd missed um, the, the four chances, if you look back at the Stoke game, they were four big chances, uh, three big chances in that game, and a big chance on Sunday as well. You know, you can't afford too many more misses like that. He needs something to go in at, at some stage. He had a great game against West Ham, got his first goal, but since then it's it's been a story of uh, you know those missed opportunities, and I just wonder whether Rafa might just pull him out and give him a bit of a rest and 
give someone else a chance because there's certainly a couple of players now knocking on the door. Dwight Gale coming back from fitness seems really seems a little bit angry actually. I watched the reserves the other night and seems to be so determined to to prove people wrong. I think he's, he's seen a lot of things that have been said about him on the back of the stories about him being sold at Fulham uh, at the end of the window. And then you've got Mitt Rich who could come in and he could turn up and he could be absolutely terrible. He could turn up and he could be you know, on fire, as we like to sing. And hopefully it's the latter if he does come in. But uh, two, two decent, feasible options if Rafa wants to make changes. Obviously, we'll talk about Liverpool uh, later on, but just briefly, Jocelyn missing the chances that he did on Sunday. I mean, it's kind of allowed Mitrovic back into the fold. I know he's been suspended, but the idea I might have been thinking that Jocelyn, you know, would have, would have maybe hit the net a few more times, and Mitrovic is cl- ever closer to the exit door. But he's got a chance, maybe, to play. I'd, I'd be surprised if Rafa puts him straight back in, just because um, it would be a kind of bold move. I suppose it would depend how he'd done in training. Probably as much as anything as we know, Rafa does that. Um, but um, but it would certainly it would certainly add a different dimension to what to what Newcastle have got. I mean, I think Josh Lewis did some great stuff off the ball. But like Lee said, you know, I mean, he did. I don't think it was his fault that they didn't win on 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 uh, Sunday. But you know, would do what girl have scored that goal? Yeah, he would. Would Mitrovic probably on the form of the first two games he's played, he probably would have scored as well. I mean, we were kind of all, you know, a little bit, there's like the devil on my shoulder sort of saying, give Mitrovic a chance, it'll kind of fire everybody up, and it'll fire everything up. But, um, you know, I think it's interesting what Lee said, you know, it would be, it, there's, there's, there's options for Rafa all over the pitch, and that's probably the biggest one. I, I just think, you know, what Rafa's like, he's kind of quite conservative in a lot of ways, and I, I think he'll, he might take uh, Hayden out, but I, 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 if he puts Mitro in from the start, that would be a... Uh, like one of those like genuinely kind of jaw dropping team selections. You don't get too many of them for Rafa. He does do it occasionally though, doesn't he? He mixes it up occasionally. Um so yeah, you'll never so I'm I'm looking forward to Sunday because I think it'll be um it's a proper game, isn't it? It's why Newcastle spent the whole of last season so desperate to come back up for games like that. Great to respect to Brighton, Swansea, Huddersfield, um, even Stoke really, you know, like yeah, they're Premier League games, you're keen on them, but this is what Newcastle want to be about playing on a Sunday TV um, you know, big crowd global audience it'll probably be one of the bigger games of the weekend you know Newcastle real chance for them to show what they're, what they're all about and a chance for Rafa to show what he's about as well which is what he's, he wanted yeah well we'll go into the Liverpool game I mean it is a huge game like Mark says and, but Lee I mean the crowd are going to play, play such a huge part um, and, but it's two clubs really close to Rafa's heart Absolutely, and it's also a really big game for Liverpool because they've been quite unconvinced. Now, I would say I think that everyone thought Klopp is now. I wouldn't say he was under pressure. I mean, I've heard a few phone-ins where people are saying he should go, but I think he is now. There's now an expectancy there from the sort of Liverpool faithful that this season he's got to really achieve something and put maybe a trophy on the table. Watching them last night against Spartak Moscow not very convincing display really it's always a tough trip going to, to Russia because of the, the time zone and the, the travel and all that goes with it hopefully that plays in Newcastle's hands uh, but I also watched them against Leicester at the weekend and Leicester were very unfortunate not to come away with something so it's going to be a tough game and hopefully one that Newcastle can emerge with something Yeah, Mark are you confident that 
Newcastle can't come out of the, of the game on Sunday with, with at least a point or are you thinking uh, I, I mean it's, it's, it's a hard game and, and there's not many teams although you know everybody kind of makes a lot about because um, I think on the opening weekend there was a few little shocks and a few people who got you know a few top four teams have had their noses bloody so far but I don't think any of them there's only Burnley beating Chelsea I can't think of too many other results that the top four last year's top four have lost this season I mean Chelsea have lost that one game. Liverpool have obviously um, not been massively convinced. Man City, Man United have obviously, you know, played really, really well. Spurs are doing okay as well. So there's not a lot. There's not been a lot of teams actually managed to kind of upset the apple cart so far. So it'd be really interesting. I think it's a, it's a tough game for Newcastle. Um, the, you know, their their kind of defence has been has been pretty good so far this season. But, <coughs> but Liverpool's a different kind of challenge. Tottenham, I think, I kind of like. I don't really count Tottenham. Um, it, as as a as a kind of true test of Newcastle against the top four because the team, like Lee said a few weeks ago, the team had uh, wasn't the team that the Rafa was going to lead. It, there was a lot of unsettled. There was a lot going on behind the scenes and all that as well. Um, so really, so far Newcastle have played the middleweights in the division and shown that they can compete with them. Picked up some points where we didn't expect them to and lost a few points where we hoped they would. But this is the first real test of their credentials against the top. A really top team, um, so I'm looking forward to it because I, I do think you know the pressure and the kind of anxiety's gone a little bit from Newcastle, but this is quite this is a really big game. And it's a nice feel, doesn't it? That we can actually just talk about the football and look forward to it as opposed to worrying, you know, what's going on the background. It's nice for fans to be able to you know just concentrate on the football. But Liverpool don't look that secure in defence. We saw against Leicester, you know, that if that if centre back pair and doesn't look all that. Tight, the Minule doesn't look like the authoritative goalkeeper that a team chasing top four need. They've conceded eleven goals, whereas Newcastle only conceded five. So, Leif, whoever is chosen up front, and we'll ask in a second who you think that is going to be. But whoever's up front has got a, a good chance to bully the defence and maybe grab a goal in front of the the Gallagher. Yeah, there's there's certainly cracks in that Liverpool defence. Uh, as I say, I watched a few of the games recently, and going forward, the they're quite a scary proposition mm-hmm. and some of the players the Coutinho and Salah people like that so it, there's going to be a lot of things to keep an eye on but I'm sure Rafa will relish the chance of keeping Newcastle quite compact he'll, he'll certainly try and snuff out the mistakes from the Brighton game but then that gives them a clean slate to really go out and when they are going forward when they are on the ball applying pressure they can really uh, test that Liverpool defence and, and see what they're made of because if there's an early goal in this game for Newcastle, I think that could be uh, could set the tone for a very interesting afternoon. And Lee, who would be your choice up, up top? Would he stick with Jocelyn? Would you? Say, I mean, obviously you watched Gale mm-hmm. midweek. Do you think it's quite interesting that he obviously travelled down and Brighton and then was back up and playing mm-hmm. the reserves? Do you think that, that that's a bit of an England to what might happen on Sunday? Well, I think Gale actually knocked on the door of. Rafa and said that he wanted to play in the reserve game so I think that's a really good sign a good a good show of, of attitude Jocelyn would you would you take him out would it crush his confidence do you give him one more chance Rafa will play on all these factors mm-hmm. and it, and if Jocelyn goes in the game and thinks oh I've got an opportunity here one last chance that might, that might give him a thing I think if Gale did start I think he would really have to hit the ground running. I got an hour in the tank against Wolves the other night. So going back to your original question, who do I think will start? 
I think Joss Lewis still got a chance. Who who do I think probably should start? If I, if that was me, I'd probably give Dwight Gale an opportunity. Do you think the the setup? Because obviously Rafa really does like that formation that he plays in number ten, and then you've got mm. the uh, you know the number nine sort of speak up top. Do you think that benefits Dwight Gale? Do you think he's comfortable playing in that formation? Or would you like to see him maybe switch it around a little bit? Well, he he loved it last season whenever he played with the army. Uh, I've spoke to him a few times and he said I really enjoy playing with him because he holds the ball up and like can lay lay things off and I can run onto his sort of passing. So I think that is a better uh, system for him to, to play in. Um, I think Newcastle do lack a really good number 10 and unfortunately the, the last couple of games um, well obviously the last game when Perez missed them opportunities that that was a, a game where we seen that so it's 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 going to be an interesting selection. I think Pierre Bates mentioned it didn't you, to you the other day that you would love to be in that number 10 behind yeah. Dwight Gale and <laughs> yeah, I mean that would be the dream wouldn't it that would be on the pitch. Yeah num- number 10 has been a problem for Newcastle United for as long as I can remember like they signed it I mean Alan Pardew used to sort of talk about it well, I'll be uh, I'll be uh, Alan Pardew now uh, no Alan Pardew <laughs> talked, talked about uh, number 10s and trying to get trying to get somebody in and Graham Carson had about five and none of them really worked I mean there's 70 young you had, you, I mean that was at one point all they seemed to do was sign number 10s and none of them worked Rafa tried to sign Pryor I think he could have played there um, I probably pronounced that wrong but he was trying to sign somebody who could play there um, all summer and they never they never quite managed it and you know it's a strange one isn't it because Perez seemed to be the, the um, recipient of quite a lot of stick judging by my social media feeds what have you and I do think there's always one or two that people pick on um, and yeah, Perez, he seems to be the one at the minute that yeah, he's, Perez is definitely they're going for but to be, to be fair Perez on Sunday was one of the few players who stopped to explain the defeat yeah. so I think that's he, worth but he has looked he has looked more maybe comfortable is not the right word but he has looked a bit better this season than he ha- did in previous Premier League season he looks like he's maybe you know, gone to the gym a bit more and built up mm. and he, he does look a lot he's, more at home he's alright is, is Perez you know I, I don't think let, you know, you've got to consider like how good how good the player is. You know, like what do you expect him to do? He's not, you know, he's not um, Coutinho. You know, he's not he's not at that level. So, what kind of performance do you expect from him? You expect Rafa wants discipline. He wants somebody who's going to be prepared to play in the system that he wants him to play in. And Perez is ticking all those boxes. So, when people say to me, "Why is Perez playing?" the reason is because he's doing what Rafa asked of him now. It was the same reason why Dayami was in the team. You know, it, you have to you have to consider like what he brings to the system. He's not just a player in there. It's like Rafa's all about the system. And and you know, as much as people kind of like when they when they lose, you can't rail against the system. You can't rail against Rafa, and you can't rail against Ayoji Perez because he's playing the system that won them the game the week before against Stoke and the two weeks and the week before that against Swansea and the week before that against West Ham you've got to be like you've got to understand what is happening at Newcastle this season and what Rafa is trying to do and I completely understand when people say I'll oh, get rid of him but who do you bring in people say Marino people say saying Shelby but Shelby's not going to play the same way that Perez plays so you're going to lose something else elsewhere and um, you know we'd all love a Maverick a kind of Hat and Banafa in there but I think as long as Rafa Benitez is the manager and that's what we all want, you have to accept that it's going to be a little bit tentative in, in that way for the next year. And, and you can't hammer individual players for what they did on, on Sunday because I, I think there were mistakes made. But I don't think anybody was 
you know, awful. I don't think anybody doesn't isn't putting it in. The bad performances that we've seen this season have just been like a case of probably just not quite being up to it on the day. Because Newcastle have to perform at like 80-90% every week to get anything in the Premier League because the, the, collectively they're not that no, and this isn't meant in a kind of derogatory way they're not that good they're not a top 8 Premier League team so you can have a go at Perez all you want but he, he's not like you know he's not a top top Premier League player he's a 6-7 out of 10 in the Premier League in the Premier League kind of player and as long as he gives everything and plays a disciplined way you know that's what Rafa wants from him. And Rafa is trying to build something that is greater than the sum of its parts. So that is the situation. So don't have, you know, who, who, who do you bring in instead? Well, well interesting. Shelby, that. Yeah. Like, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. a lot of people have suggested maybe pushing either Marino or But Shelby's not a number Shelby. 10. He's never played in that role uh, consistently for Newcastle. Um, he's, he's not. And, and Marino, like, well, Marino's doing quite well where he is. I can understand the argument playing Shelby and Marino, and, and Rafa obviously did do that on Sunday. Um, but I mean, and you can find a way of getting the two of the players in together. But I, I just, are either of the number tens? I don't know. I mean, Marino could probably play there, and that would be interesting. But again, you know, you're losing something else there. Shelby, when he came on, was was hitting long. He was playing quarterback again, wasn't he? He was he plays right on the toes of the defence to Shelby, hitting long balls, plays that way. Um, and if you're going to have somebody playing that way, you need somebody else in there who's going to play with a bit of discipline. And then Perez, as a number 10, can't be just floating around. I mean, that's why it didn't work out for Hatton Bernard at Newcastle United, because, um, you know, effectively, Pardew gambled, like I said, he didn't want the what he got from him as number 10. He wanted, he wanted somebody who could do a Perez kind of role. And whether you think that that's the right or wrong thing, you know, it, it was what it was. And, and, that, and, and that is, that is a, the way that Rafa sees the game as well. You know, he's obviously... You know, when it, when it works, it works and it, and it feels good because they win. Um, but, you know, when they lose, it feels a little bit sometimes like we didn't go for it as much as we should there. But that's that's Rafi. You know, he's not going to go all out attack no matter who they're playing this year because that's not that's never been his style. They didn't look comfortable trying to do it last year in the championship. You know, they, they had 70% possession against Blackburn at home and away and couldn't and pick the lock. That's not Rafa's... That's probably Klopp's speciality, but it's not Rafa's speciality. So it's an intriguing kind of mix of the two next year. And I think most fans get that, actually. I think most fans have got that. and Because I don't think there was a lot of criticism of, of Sunday's performance. No, Frustration, but not necessarily... People weren't necessarily like, you know, with pitchforks at St. James' yeah, Park. Yeah, they, they were, they, they, there was frustration, and I completely felt that as well, because it was frustrating. They didn't quite click, did they? So in a word, will it be Marino and Shelby... In the centre, um, I really don't know. I, it's a really good question. Thank Ye- you. Yes, <laughs> yes, possibly, uh, possibly. And Lee, will it be Marino? What was the question again? Will it be Marino and Shelby in the middle, or will he stick with Hayden? Will it be Marino and Shelby in the middle? I think there's a strong chance of it because I think Hayden has basically had his opportunity in the last few games. He's done okay. Wasn't that? wasn't too great against Brighton and I think that's definitely one of the the tweaks uh, Rafa will consider. I mean, when you're talking about number 10s, going back to that, you know, Rafa had a, a number t- a popular number 10 with some fans in Sim De Jong and yeah. opted to, to get rid of him. So he's obviously got a lot of faith in Perez and 
I know it won't be popular, but he's obviously got a lot of faith in Modi Army because he was never he was never in any danger of being sold this summer, mm. and he will have a chance uh, at some stage this season because he's one of these players who Rafa trusts, and when Rafa asks him to do a certain thing, that's what he does. And score wise, score prediction name for, for Sunday. Now you're asking uh, Newcastle Liverpool is it's always a it's all, always goals involved in this game. I I think the maximum amount of goals Newcastle can score is three, and I think that Liverpool are more than capable of uh, conceding as well. So should we say three one? Three one Newcastle. Yeah. Mark, you're gonna be. As equally as confident? Uh, no, I, I'm not massively confident, but I'm a pessimist. I say this every week in the Premier League. Um, Being Bradford, why I'm just here. 3 1's a great bet. 3 1. Do you know what? I might check that one actually. 3 all. No, I, I, I honestly, like, I, I just have no idea. You got, Newcastle measured against one of the big teams. I wouldn't have him in the same room as, as Rafa when, uh, if a team of his concedes three <laughs> goals, I wouldn't like yeah. it at home. Yeah, they've, not look, they've not looked at that. I think that's the good thing about Newcastle and uh, Rafa, and you know they've not looked. They've looked pretty, pretty good, pretty solid, and you know if they've got two points. They got Huddersfield and Brighton a point out of both of those games. You'd, you'd, we'd be singing from the rooftops about the start, wouldn't we? It's been a great. It's been a. You know they've made they've proved a point. Now they need to go and win some points. There you go. Sure. So, so you're not going to give us a score prediction now? I have no idea. I, I never know. <laughs> Whenever anybody, whatever, I don't know. I'm, I'm sitting on the fence. I'm rubbish at predictions. Stock on you. Was it, it Kazu who said, uh, I'll, uh, I'm, was it, I never make predictions and uh, I'm not going to. I, I never make predictions. Box, wasn't it? Yeah, I never make predictions. I think we're, we're going off predictions again, basically. Rafa, he doesn't like those kind of, you know, the famous 4 3 games and. There's been other crazy scorelines between these two teams before uh, at St James's and Anfield. And I think Rafa would prefer a 1 0 to a 4 3 any, any day of the week. I remember last season when they beat Norwich 4 3. And it was quite it was quite a funny moment actually. He was standing in the mix zone and Terry Mack was coming down, who was obviously Keane's assistant in the Entertainers era. And he was going, Oh, the Entertainers are back. He was loving it. And then it was one of Rafa's men. Walk past as well. He went, no, he says, we prefer a 1 0 these days. So, you know, you've got to remember. It's definitely not that. Yeah, Rafa is, you know, that, that doesn't mean it's not exciting what Rafa does because it's always like there's always a bit of intrigue there, isn't there? Like, it's not boring. That's the thing. It's like we sound as if we're basically saying that Rafa's boring and he's conservative, but it's not because you'd know that. Like, it's not like Sam Allardyce or, you know, I thought it was boring watching McLaren's teams and McLaren tried to build an exciting he wanted the entertainers era back he sat there in his room and said to us I want possession based attacking football at Newcastle United coming back um, and it didn't work it was boring because the team couldn't put, it, put Fan, through with it fans uh, fans didn't enjoy it during that they enjoyed the entertainers era of course because the team were good the team were good but you ask most I mean people listening on this those four threes against Liverpool as much as they're celebrated by Sky they weren't enjoyed by Newcastle fans because oh. Who wants to travel down to a game, watch your team go into the lead, then be pegged back, eventually be winning 3-2, and then lose 4-3 with a, a late choker at Anfield, you know, and the whole of Anfield goes and celebrate, and then you've got to get on a bus and go home. Fans don't enjoy losing like that, so they'll take a 1-0 every, every day of the week. Newcastle got a good record at St James's Park against Liverpool recently. You know, they've obviously, well, not the 
So if you remember Steven Gerrard absolutely ran a, ran a game here. But apart from that, last they won 2 0 and the McLaren, they won the year before. Yeah, Perez has scored a winner in this fixture. I was talking to him about that yeah. for an article. And uh, yeah, was that, game, was that the game where Medea Bay looked like a world for you? It was the game where the fans had the Pardew back from the dead yeah. banner. Yeah, we we were in the stands, weren't we? We were, yeah. <laughs> we were in the stands because we were banned. Uh, yeah, glory, glory days. Feels feels good. Feels, it'd be good. Well, I, I say this touch wood. Bear in mind, isn't it? that's uh, class, uh, the, the, the wood bit there. Just 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 hoping that we don't get banned in the in the yeah, yeah, I'm just days. gonna wrap this bit of the. But it'd be nice to be. Yeah, on. Be nice to. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I think it's it's good, isn't it? Because we actually can you can really look forward to it, and I think it'll kick in the the feeling of like anticipation for it will kick in in the next couple of days it, it feels a bit flat at the moment because um, Sunday was, was a bit flat but um, but yeah it's proper day isn't it on Sunday it's going to be a good, good definitely thing. for those that are heading up there there is going to be a, a very special day led by Gallagher's Flags um, it's all on the Chronicle Live website head over there they do need your help as well though but let's see all the details are on the mm-hmm. website and just briefly Mark because we're going to move on in a second yeah. but I mean how important are these kind of fan groups to make and St James's Park a cauldron of noise and to make yeah. it a place opposition teams don't want to come to? Well, they've been they've been brilliant. I mean, you know, uh, we know that Gallagher's flags is. I think people people are kind of like think it's um, it, it looks good and, and you know I think there's a story about the, the banner that they're preparing for Saturday going in in Marca, which is obviously like a big huge publication in Spain and uh, it's the they're, they're the only group really doing it in the Premier League at the moment. Came out of. Um, the euphoria around Rafa staying um, they've done great work I thought that their single flag the last time out was really was really good show made a point um, but this Sunday it's going to be their biggest display ever um, they've got four big surfer flags including one new one that's got a really interesting message on it um, that I think they're which we know what it is but they've, they've asked us to kind of step off on it so the surprise can stay so there's, the surprise is, is there but um, but you'll need to stay keep keep on Chronicle Live for uh, to kind of find out what it means. Uh, let's put it that way. Um, but then but then there's a uh, they need volunteers, so they're asking for um, hundred volunteers. They get about twenty. They need about another eighty, so they need some in the Gallagate, um, um, and they also need people to sort of turn up an hour or two early, so sort of forgo like a, a pint before the game. Um, so they need people to kind of come about three o'clock I think or this one some people will need to come at twelve, some people to three, and then some people in the Gallagate who will help lift up the flag. So if you're listening to this and you're you can give like an hour or two of your time, I think it'll definitely be worth it. it it'll make a, it'll look great in front of a global audience. It's sort of you know going into the, all this takeover stuff, you know, it's it shows we often say Newcastle fans are fantastic, but this shows how creative and how positive the whole thing is. You know, it's not a um, it's not a case of you know boycotting the ground or anything like that. It's a question of get you know get behind this group because it's hard work. I know speaking to Alex Hurst, who does the Gallagher flags, you know it's really hard work. It's really hard work. They spend a lot of time. Twenty five hours, I think they um, they've already spent putting together this display, um, and it's going to be they're going to be there from about four o'clock on Friday to about midnight, so another eight hours, and then on Sunday they'll be there all day. So. If anybody can help out, just for like an hour or two of their time, uh, definitely do it. There's details on our website and Gallagher's flags and through their Twitter feed as well. That's our stuff. Well, we'll move on to you know the sad news that Freddie Shepard passed away um, earlier this week. Absolutely, um, you you spoke to him just a few months back. Um, you know, great. He was in great form. Great, great character. I mean, 
he was a man who split opinion among, amongst the fans, but he did, you could yeah. never doubt his love and want of success for Newcastle United. Yeah, he always demanded the very best for Newcastle United. I got to know him from you know arriving at the Chronicle as a, as a reporter, and for all what was you know said about him, that you know the expectations that he was a tough guy to deal with. I always found him quite a, a warm character who had a lot of passion for Newcastle United. He wanted, he always wanted the best. As I say, you know when when it come to the to a manager not doing very well. He acted quickly. I don't think certain situations that have happened in recent years would have unfolded the same. Like the Pardew situation that dragged on and on and on. He just kept clinging on to his job. That wouldn't have happened under Shepard. He would have got rid and he'd have got somebody in that the supporters felt was a, a good fit for the club. He tried that with you know a lot of different managers, some with some success, some without. Obviously, bought Bobby Robson the club, bought Alan Shearer at the club. Had a big hand in people like Tino Spriller coming. Kevin Keegan as Kevin well. Kevin Keegan yeah, back in the, the day, you know, I mean, he wasn't quite fully in charge then, he was just part of the board, but he was always um, a big supporter of, of of his managers and making money available. I mean, obviously, towards the end of his sort of career as chairman, you know, still tried, he bought in Clivert from Barcelona, Michael Owen, from Real Madrid, Jonathan Woodgate came in from Leeds. All right, some of them didn't perform as well as, as we'd have liked, but at the time, they genuinely got the city excited and hopefully, you know, people remember that that sort of era from a lot. I think there's been a lot of goodwill out there from people and I think they remember the, the good times. I mean, Newcastle getting to FA Cup finals, semi-finals of, of European competition, finishing in the top four, Getting in the Champions League, we'd take that now, wouldn't we? Seems a long way off now, doesn't it? It does. I mean, obviously, Mark selling the club, he, he was, he didn't ever really want to sell the club. Obviously, he was, I think, he was in hospital at the time that the, the sale went through, and there was, was rumour that he also maybe tried to buy the club back at one point. Um, yeah, I think Lee's got a really good story uh, coming out about that later. So, if you probably listen to this one and commute home, um, have a uh, have a have a read of that when you get back. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't. None of the Freddie Shepherd um, <clears throat> era kind of encompassed when I was here. So I, I started in two thousand eight, and uh, Ashley had been been on board for a year. But what what I did, what I have noticed since I've been here for six years, is how prominent Freddie Shepherd, the part that he played in the in the northeast, generally outside of football as well. You know, he um, there was I think one of our former chief reporters, Katie Davis, um, who's now in Australia and will not be listening to this, I'm sure, because she's a Sunderland fan. Um, but she used to get calls from him all the time, basically like giving her tip-offs and stuff. And I used to take the mickey out of her because I was like, you know, what's, what's Freddie giving you today kind of thing. But he was just full of like ideas and the guy, you know, there's not many people out there like that. And I know, look, look there's a lot of uh, people who tell me that, you know, there were, there were bad things about what Freddie did with the club. And, and you know, obviously I, I'm probably not in a position to be able to, to make a judgment on that because I didn't, I wasn't around at that time. But he, he played such a big part in the city and the life of the city. And he did so many things and he was, seemed to be full of energy and vision. Um, and, you know, people like that are quite, quite rare. And he probably did ruffle quite a few feathers. But it said something that Richard Scudamore came out yesterday and spoke about him. It was he? amazing the amount of the big names. The Wayne just, Rooney, yeah, Wayne Rooney, you know Alan Shearer, yeah. All the all the top Newcastle lads yeah. came out and, and said stuff. And he came from. He, I mean, you know, this was not a guy who was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. You know, he like he, um, 
what he did with Newcastle United was, um, you know, it took a lot of vision and they made mistakes. I'm sure they did. But like you said, I mean, you know, sometimes you, you have to kind of, you have to speculate to accumulate. And I think he got a lot of criticism when he left and I think too many people who were really, you know, were like, I think people at the time were not that worried to see him go, but it's a case of sometimes, you know, be careful what you wish for. And Mike Ashley, you know, they, it was all like, oh, well, Freddie Shepard's selling up for a billionaire. Newcastle are going to be the next the next big thing. And it's not worked out that way. And I think there's a quote and I'll, I'll um, you know, I'm sorry about this. I'll, I'll just kind of give you a little preview. Now, anyway, we'll give you a little preview of, of Lee's piece when he says that it ends with a quote about from Freddie about Mike Ashley in which he says, you know, Mike Ashley has had a very successful career, but has probably found it harder than he thought he was going to do. And Freddie, for all the mistakes he made, it's, it's a hard job piloting a club like Newcastle United. And, um, you know, I'm glad, I'm really glad because we weren't sure what the tributes would be like. We were thought that a lot of people might be, you know, kind of, but I think a lot of Newcastle fans look back at it and say, thanks for the memories, Freddie, because that's what football is, you know. Like, it's not about, people aren't going to look back on 2000 and on the era between 2008 and 2017 so far with too much fondness about what's gone on. Um, you know, you live for the cup finals and the cup semi-finals and the runs and the great games and things. And the problem we've said, you know, with Newcastle in the last few years has been that there hasn't been enough of that. There hasn't been enough of recognising what football's really about, which is just entertaining people. I think Freddie always got that, didn't he? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, what kind of guy was he like to deal with? Because obviously, like Mark says, he was he was kind of not missing Newcastle, but the city meant so much to him. You saw... I think everyone saw the, the elation in his face when he got handed, uh, you know, Freeman of the City. You know, he was a fan at heart. Yeah, absolutely. I think everybody knew exactly where they stood with him. If he was angry with you, he would make you know no uncertain terms. Uh, you know, he would ring up if there was an article in the paper, and he would. I kind of obviously repeat what he said on on, on this podcast, but I think the editor at the time, uh, his ear was burning for a while, a good while after that. And as reporters, he would tell you, but he would also be brilliant. You you know, you had the opportunity to actually ring him and speak to him and ask him questions and ask where the club was going, who they might be signing, what type of players they could be bringing in. The communication was 100% better. Mm. You know, there's one criticism, well, there's a few criticisms of the Mike Ashley era. And the, the big one is, is that he won't take any questions from anybody apart from the couple of interviews he's done with Sky Sports so it would I think it benefits the, the thing with Newcastle is as a city the football club is for the people and you have to respond to what the fans are asking mm-hmm. you know Kevin Keegan said it you've got to give the fans what they want and they want communication and they want you know to be able to see in the local papers and websites and fanzines and all that they want to hear a voice from the very top and at the minute there's just not one of them mm. there so it, it brought a few memories back of how things used to be and how things are now and definitely I think one memory for me was being in the stand when Michael Owen signed and everyone chanting Nobby Solano's name next day I guess he was back at the club and it was it was Nobby Solano and that maybe left some Freddie it wasn't really it was it was a fan first businessman second perhaps but you're right you know some fantastic memories and uh, you know it's yeah such, such sad news uh yeah, um, we'll just quickly, briefly talk Lee about the reserves. Yeah, you want to see? Do you think the likes of Jack Callback, uh, Arnie Savier, managed to play their way back into my first plans, or is it maybe a bit too early to, to say? 
a little bit too early to say Jack he looked quite a frustrated character the other night got booked it didn't surprise I suppose because he always gets booked but some you know there was a few meaty challenges going in and he looked like a guy who'd been stuck down at the academy training I don't think he wanted to leave the club in the summer uh, I think that he wants to stay in the northeast. turned down a couple of moves Rafa I don't think was impressed with that attitude but he's, you know he got bought in from the cold he's got some, some game time under his belt and if there's a if there is a shortage of players through injury then you know Jack is, is there and he's available Survey a lot more lively I thought he was sprinting around the pitch making a lot of good runs opportunities good passing skills he's actually not a bad player I think uh, everyone's forgotten that he, you know he's, he's decent Rafa actually likes him again though he's got to wait for his opportunity and uh, it was good to speak to him after the game as well yeah. uh, the other night and it's a good interview with him coming up because uh, he was basically written off by uh, Christophe Gaultier yeah he was wasn't he yeah. saying you know he, he, he lost his hunger lost his hunger for football wasn't um, wasn't ambitious anymore but speaking to him I can only judge people as I find them and speaking to him face to face the other night he seemed like he was really up for it and he wants to do well for Newcastle United and if there's an opportunity there that'll be good for him and I suppose Mark Rafa kind of likes that doesn't he he likes the players who've got the right attitude they might not be you know in the first team but if they apply themselves well then the door's always open yeah I mean you know Johan Gufran's a great example of that isn't he because he, he was he was on his way out and um, and sort of battled his way back um, and you know even Czech Teoti you know God rest his soul uh, came back in and he looked as if he was kind of out but he applied himself right at the end and and got a chance and, and yeah and Rafa I think I think it, a little bit different with Tim Cruel and Jack Colback because Cruel was told in no uncertain terms basically you aren't going to play for me and I think there was a little bit of, bit of you know kind of I don't think Tim Cruel was particularly happy about that but I think Rafa made his made he just said I'm being honest with you you're not going to play and I think the same has been said to Jack Colback which is why I don't think Colback's necessarily got a chance but Saleh was in the squad at Huddersfield wasn't he uh, and like Lee said, you know he's, um, you know he can play. And he quite likes him. Um, it, I, yeah, I think I think there's, there's there's always a door open with Rafa. That's the thing. I think there's there's only one or two players that he's really told, look, you're not going to play under me. Um, he does have, you know, he, he does have players that he prefers over players he doesn't. But it's not quite the same as the previous eras at Newcastle United, where there were certain players he he just wouldn't don't the manager just wouldn't drop because they were too important. Um, and I think a big thing back to McLaren and he was going to drop Vinaldum wasn't he for a game and uh, and he was, he was going to make all those changes I remember the press press box was buzzing it was it before Liverpool I think actually and he was going to make all these changes and he, he I wouldn't say bottled it because that's not quite right but he basically he sort of told everybody that that was going to be the team and everybody in the press box knew it and there was this kind of buzz around and then the team announced and it was the same players basically Rafa wouldn't do that. He's seen. I mean, he might drop. He might keep Shelby out of the team on um, on Sunday. You know, um, you know, Mitrovic has come in and had chances. So yeah, there's chances for those guys. I mean, you know, it's good that they're playing in the reserves because you know it's, it's good that some of them are asking yeah, to play yeah. in the reserves because that that impressed me. They went heard about Dwight Gale and Severe as well. As you'll see in the interview he's done is. Uh, very good. Yeah, it's good quotes. Yeah. I mean, just briefly, it sounds a bit daft that we're asking about players coming back in the side when the summer's biggest transfer outlet in Jacob Murphy 
seems to have, I mean, what is happening there? Have you got any insight into, does, is he just, right, he's just not enough his plans at the moment, he's not fit enough? I mean, do you have any idea? I think Atsu is deserved to be in the team, and rightly so. Oh, that's because Jameson would yeah, yeah. agree to that. To yes, that story. exactly. Um, and then, on the other side, could you drop Matt Ritchie? You probably can't. He's finding it hard to get in. He's made a big step up from Norwich. He's coming to the Premier League. He's at his, his boyhood club. Maybe he's finding it a little bit tough. Uh, but I'm sure you know this is this the Premier League season. It's 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 long. It's not as long as a Championship, thankfully. But there there will be opportunities at some stage. And what I've seen from in pre-season, watched him train, seen him in the friendlies, looked a very good young player. So it's far too early to be uh, to be writing him off. Brilliant stuff. And we'll get on to now, obviously Benitez earlier this week, talks of that the club are going to approach him or getting ready to offer him a, a new contract. Uh, Lee, what's your, your latest understanding on, on that case? Well, this is an interesting one because <laughs> right, there's, we, you know, as we reported yesterday, there have actually been no talks so far. Do Newcastle want to offer him a new contract? They, well, they're going to have to at some stage and because he's got his current deal runs out at the end of the season. So I, I think that there's a lot going on behind the scenes. The club is being prepped for mm. a sale, I would say. Mm. Nobody's coming with the right money, uh, but whoever comes in. It's a strange one, though, really, and I'd be interested to hear what your views on this are, that you, as, when a, a new owner comes in at a football club, the manager, who's usually in place, isn't comfortable because they know that they're not the choice. So if somebody came in and Rafa had been given a five-year contract, as, as much as we'd like him to stay, they might have their own ideas. So yeah. that happened to Sam Allies, didn't it, yeah. With, yeah. with Ashley? So it's a, it's a strange one, but the lowdown is, is that Newcastle need to get their act together and get a contract on the table for them. And, uh, it should be great days if they do. And Mark, do you think, on the other hand, being Rafa would, would want to sign a new contract? Obviously, this summer, transfer went didn't quite go to plan. He's going to want assurances that there's going to be money to spend there if he does indeed sign for another yeah. three, four years. And the problem with the problem with assurances is that Rafa has a different take, let's put it that way, to be generous on what happened at the start of last summer, at the start of this summer, so he had different. He has a different take on what what was promised and what was delivered than Mike Ashley does. So if Mike Ashley turns around and says, "Well, we'll back here if you sign this contract," why would Rafa necessarily listen to them? And I think that's the thing. It's been really odd that um, the the two reports and the second one on Tuesday morning was by Matt Hughes at the Times, who's a good journalist and obviously knows his stuff but it wasn't written by George Culkin who's at the Times who you would normally associate with North East football and Newcastle football um, and then when Lee checks it out as he said you know finds out that look there's been no talks um, we've got a really good I, you know I would like to think and I, you know, I know Lee will blush with this one but if Rafa Benitez was going to sign a new contract I'm pretty sure that the Chronicle with our contacts would know about that and would have had a more of an inkling than the Times. No offence, like than somebody who doesn't cover Newcastle United day in day out. So it makes me wonder where the story came from, why it's been put out there, and what is going on really in terms of 
who's that story intended for? What was the audience? Um, and I, I, you know, there aren't any simple answers. I can't give you that answer. I'd love to be able to sit here and give you the answer. But it, like Lee said, there's so much going on behind the scenes. I think at the moment there is definitely a drive to try and sell the club. Um, I think Mike Ashley's ready to do that. I think that's probably one of the reasons why there wasn't as much activity in the transfer market. Like Lee said, you know, if somebody comes in, will they want to keep Rafa? But then again, are they getting the vibes as I think they might be when they're doing when they're speaking to people out there? that one of Newcastle's biggest assets is Rafa Benitez. And one of the reasons why people are not necessarily, the Chinese market in particular, are not as interested in looking at Newcastle United is because of the, the uncertainty over Rafa. Because you've got Rafa tied down to a four or five year contract and you've got Chinese businessmen who know Rafa, who's well known and has friends in the Chinese uh, sort of business community because he was offered jobs in China. Um, then is that then a more of a selling point for Newcastle United we've got Rafa because I think anybody invested in Newcastle it United w- it, w- it will be to some investors yes, because- but to others they might yeah. have their own ideas true true. You know, that's that. I think that was the case at Man City they waited and waited yeah, for did. Guardiola didn't they yeah. so whoever was in before him knew there was yeah. there was going to be change so it just depends on, on, on who the investors are really yeah. but I mean the, the interesting thing is we you know we talk about kind of you know it's been nice to talk about football as its own but sooner or later and I think probably sooner this West Ham thing is going to crop up again because um, it's Billich has got a game against Swansea they've got West Ham playing Swansea this weekend um, and if they lose that he might go and if he goes, then that's two weeks of the international break that potentially could see them going out and getting a new manager. And whether that manager is Rafa Benitez is going to be interesting. So, And it's the Liverpool situation you've got yeah. to keep an eye on as well. Yeah, because yeah exactly. Well, will they, would they sack Jürgen Klopp? Hard to, hard to see, but if there was any change, I'm pretty sure Rafa will be on a shortlist at Anfield. Yeah, yeah. and that's, and that's, the, uh, that's the, the interesting thing, isn't it? A lag... That's the question, isn't it, really, with, with the Rafa and the Rafa contract situation? Newcastle need to. They haven't treated him, I don't think. No. They haven't treated him like a man who is as important as he should be. And he's not an egotistical man, so he wouldn't be particularly bothered that he's not getting five star treatment from Newcastle United. But by the same token, you know, I saw something in the Times report saying they've invited him out for dinner. And you just think, like, <laughs> how has that not happened before? How are they not making contact with him before? You know, look, Keith Bishop sat in every press conference with him at the moment. Like, why is that? Uh, you know, why is Keith Bishop sat in every press conference when he wasn't before? Maybe there's a perfectly uh, obvious reason for it, but he wasn't before. So, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a strange situation at Newcastle. It always is. It's mad there. You know, it is, it's mad at Newcastle United. It, it, and it is, when Mike, as long as Mike Ashley's there, you never get much kind of... You know, there's all there'll always be suspicion because you're just waiting for the next crisis. Well, you, there'll always be suspicion because people don't know, you know, people don't know where, where what his intentions are, and no matter how many soft soap interviews he gives with Sky Sports News, it's not going to solve the problem, is it? Because he's, you know, there's, there's an indip- there's a whole load of questions. We put 13 questions to Newcastle United three weeks ago, and they've not responded to them, and I, and you know. That, why haven't they responded to them? Well, I understand why they haven't responded to some of them because they're a bit, you know, they probably just wouldn't be in their interest. But there's three or four that they could have easily clarified. You could clarify Justin Barnes's position at the football club tomorrow, but um, they don't want to. And they need to clarify what's happening with Rafa. Um, 
But you know, he's he's very he's been in a good mood, hasn't he? The last three weeks. The thing with Rafa is, is that while he's at the football club, he'll give everything he's yeah. got. Uh, there'll be no sulking or anything like that. He could he could decide to postpone contract talks himself and mm. see where Newcastle are. December, January, if Newcastle in the top five. Puts him in a great position, doesn't it? Can't see, can't see them being in the top five, but you never know where Rafa is. So, yeah. but if if he was, what I'm saying is, is that there's going to be clubs queuing up to take his services because he's a, he's whatever you say, he's a world class manager. Three get three wins out of six has it's been great for Newcastle, but it's also been good for Benitez because it kind of shows that look, he still he still knows how to run a football team, and West Ham will be looking at that and thinking, well, they've got four points, have they? Uh, so far this season um, well beaten by Spurs last Saturday I know they came back into it um, yeah they beat Huddersfield and were well better than Huddersfield but you know there's a few teams at the bottom there that you wouldn't want to be you wouldn't you wouldn't want to be in their position and Rafa is but I think the reason why Newcastle aren't in their position because that team man for man is probably you know a bottom half bottom third of the Premier League team but he might get it for higher up than that because Yes, we do. Well, there we have it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for joining us. Head over to chroniclelive.co.uk for all the latest Newcastle United news. And, of course, we'll bring you live coverage of the game against Liverpool on Sunday afternoon.